Welcome into another edition of the Cyclone Fanatic Podcast. It's episode 92, I think, of Football and Random Things. We're about two months out from episode 100. Still crazy to think that Cyclone Fanatic has allowed Jeff and I to do 100 episodes of a podcast named Fart. And yet here we are. Do you think Chris just doesn't listen? Like he just doesn't, like he just hasn't paid attention, you know? Yeah, I'm like convinced. The, like we actually probably got fired like two seasons ago. And yet I just kept posting it. And Chris just never said anything or just never noticed. Sort of, yeah, we're just the the we're the mice that live behind the walls. We're like, you don't want them there. You just don't really pay it enough attention to know that they're there uh-huh. until you're like, oh, there's you're still here. Yeah, we're that's that's us. And every once in a while, out of the corner of your eye, you see one skirt across the room, you know, uh-huh. and that's or like, that's like us. Some... Right. It's us when we do something bad enough to have people get mad at us or to say something stupid enough that someone says something to Chris about it. And then all of a sudden it's like something else happens and he just isn't paying attention anymore. Yeah, but there was that skirt that... out of the corner of his eye. He saw that we were there. We are the, we are the scuttling mouse in the corner of the cyclone fanatic house. And we have not yet been fired or maybe we have been, we just, just continue to kick around. Right. We're, we're here. We're here. That's all that, uh, that's all that we know. All right. Uh, we're less than three weeks from kickoff in Ames between the Panthers and the Cyclones. Uh, we're going to go through some guys that are not, I don't know. You sent me a whole list, not the usual suspects, uh, of guys that we spend a lot of time talking about on this, uh, this podcast, maybe some younger guys that we're intrigued to see some older guys that we are expecting to step up a little bit here this year and, uh, just kind of go through, you know, what we'd like to see from them, uh, during 2021. Yeah. I think the, the guy, the, the name guys, you know, your rocks, your breezes, your will McDonald's, your Greg guys like those guys we talk about all the time because they've been, either doing their thing at a substantially high level. Like Brees has been really, really, really good for a season and a half. Like it's not been five years, but he's been, fen- I mean, phenomenal. And so everyone talks about those guys, but the guys that, I mean, it, it's a football team. Like there are 11 guys in the field at any one given time. And in one given game, there might be 64 dudes that end up getting a snap of some kind. And you need to have all of those guys be productive. Uh, and I think usually it kind of falls into into tiers, uh, T I E R, not T E A R. It falls into tiers of like, you have your, you know, your award watch list, your Mike Rose, your, you know, those guys. And then you have the next tier below, which are really solid. And I think I fell, I tend to think that I fell in that solid, but not a star category most of the time. But if you don't have a ton of those guys, that solid, but not a star, you don't really have that solid of a team. You have a very, you have, you have a, a spear, not necessarily a blunt object. Like mm-hmm. you have a couple really good guys and then it falls off really quickly after that versus you have a couple really good guys and everyone else is almost as good. And I think we want, I want to talk about the guys that fall in that category that we know about kinda, but we somewhere between expect and want to see these guys improve, uh, at a, at a higher, not improve at a higher clip, but perform at a clip that is enough to, I don't know, make everybody kind of turn their head and notice. Uh, yeah, I think to take it with your spear analogy, like the 2017 Iowa state team was like a spear where you had Alan Lazard and Joel Lanning and David Montgomery at the top. And then you had a handful, I mean, not more than a handful, but you had quite a few guys that were, you know, solid players. 
a, a good core group of guys that were solid players. And it was like this now, like the team is like a battle ax, mm-hmm. you know, you've got yeah. the guys at the top who give you a good sharp edge that are really good. It's a really good sharp edge, like some of the best players in the country. And then you've got a bunch of guys who make up the rest of the blade yeah. that are also equally as good. You know, yeah. like you take some of those guys out at the top, it gets, it's a little bit more of a blunt object, but it's like, mm-hmm. it, it still can be really sharp yeah, and it, solid. And that's where it's depth comes in just breadth of talent, like quality of, of the depth chart, like, I mean, quality across positions. So yeah, there was, I don't know, I, I came up with a list and you came up with a list and we overlapped a little bit, but um, no, I think it's, it is a fun conversation to have, especially as we don't know what the final roster is going to be yet. Despite the fact that this team returns, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. It's like 37 out of 42 guys that were on the two deep last something year, like 36, 37, something like that. Yeah. Um, despite that, there is going to be a little bit of roster turnover, but not out of necessity out of, dude, we can't keep this guy off the field. Like right. we have, this guy has shown out since last year, or this guy, we're, we're moving in positions because we want, you know, it's a better situation or like, there's going to be stuff that happens to make this roster even better. So yeah, I, I, it's, it's fun to talk about while we don't know exactly what the final roster is going to be like guys that we know are going to play. We just don't know what their product productivity level is going to be yet. Uh, I'm going to take a note of, I need to write a column about comparing all of the big 12 rosters to melee weapons (laughs) (laughs) to medieval medieval weapons uh, exclusively between the 13th and 15th centuries. yeah. Like, uh, what, what are the, what are the things that a, they, a mace? yeah. Yes. A morning star. Right. Right. Uh, all right. So this, the first one, I think, uh, that it is interesting to talk about kind of plays into exactly what you're talking about of guys who force their way onto the field. Uh, mm-hmm. but the first piece of it, I want to say Tariq Milton, I think will be huge for this team to get him back in at full strength, but mm-hmm. I will be interested to see where Tariq ends up playing for the majority of the season, because it sounds like Jalen Knoll, the true freshman out of Kansas city is the real deal. And is a guy who very well could push Tariq uh, for playing time at one of those receiver positions. I mean, they're pretty similar in body style and all that and and play style. Mm -hmm. So do they, I think there's an interesting dynamic of, do you move Tariq to another position to, maximize that ability of getting the most playmakers on the field at one time. Yeah. I think the one thing that the Campbell staff is really, really good at uh, offensively and defensively is we want the best 11 dudes in the field and we are going to configure whatever we need to, to get the best 11 dudes in the field. Uh, I would say it's assuming he's healthy Tariq Milton is one of your best 11 offensive players yeah, wherever somewhere on the field. So, but where Tariq is, so two years ago when he had, when he was kind of working off Deshante Jones and Deshante Jones is a natural slot. Tariq is more of a natural outside receiver in the, in the Ted Ginn mold where Ted Ginn, when he was at Ohio state and, you know, with the, in the, in the league for what, 96 years, he Until was, recently shout to yeah. Ted Ginn in retirement. I think he retired like, like earlier this summer, 18 seasons, in the NFL or something. but he wasn't, he was never that tall, but is always his speed is what makes him an outside wide receiver. Uh, Antonio Brown, as crazy as he is same type of mold, Antonio Brown's not a big guy, but he's not, he is an outside receiver because of his speed. Well, Tariq is a straight line guy. And so he's, he was sort of playing a little bit out of position in the slot and he still is in that position right now. And if Jalen Noel doesn't 
like don't doesn't push him for that spot. He will play in that position because Sean Sean and Xavier Hutchinson have pushed their way to being, we are the three best receivers and all three of them are outside of receivers. Tariq is just the one that can flex into the middle the most. And so they, he's flexed into the middle. Well, if you have three outside wide receivers and Shaw, Tariq uh, and Hutchinson, and he, I would imagine Joe skates is just slightly below that as far as consistency, but talent wise is all the way up there. But then you got a guy like Noel that if he can, if he can be the, that dominant slot receiver, then that allows Tariq to almost play back at his normal position, which is an outside wide receiver, which allows, cause Shaw is Shaw is the Brandon Marshall type, the Alan Lazard type, which is he's probably He's going to moss you more than he's going to outrun you. So what Tariq though is, you better play your safety deep and to his side, because if your corner misses and trips over his shoelaces for even half a step and Brock can get the ball off in time gone. Like, and so that the, the deep threat that we talked about last episode becomes a lot better because you have Hutchinson on one side who can do that. If he has a pair on the other side who can also do that. So you have Tariq as vertical and then Jalen Noel, who can be this explosive. Cause I think he is a natural slot. He is a guy who wants to play inside. It's much more of a lateral quickness. I mean, think Jarvis West, like that is the guy quick, get in and out of breaks, find spots, get seven yards and get down like that. Deshante Jones, that is the mm -hmm. spot where he's going to, where uh, Jalen Noel seems to be playing. So let's say he ends up pushing Tariq for the spot. And then Tariq has to beat Shaw out for the spot. Now, the great thing about wide receivers though, is they don't, you don't need to take 100% of the snaps at wide receiver, like you do at say quarterback, like in the whole game, if you're not going to rotate in Brock Purdy to give him a break, you know, you're not going to take him out. And it's sort of like running back in a position where you're going to take like your starters are going to take like 60% of the snaps, but your backups are going to take 40% of the snaps in any given game that backup or quote backup might get 42 snaps. Like that's still a reasonable thing. So if you have your starting line and we talked about this before the air, if this Noel kid, which, I mean, you can talk about his highlight kind of like this, the buzz that he's got. If your starting line is Xavier Hutchinson, this Jalen Noel kid and then Tariq Milton, and then your quote second, we like think about a hockey line switch would be Sean Shaw Jackson and Joe skates. I mean, shoot. That second line would have started at Iowa State other than Hakeem and uh, uh, Lazard. That second line would have started at Iowa State in any year that basically mm -hmm. ever. So it's, it is an, an, not an embarrassment of riches, but it's really cool to have depth and flexibility to get different types of position groups on the field, not to even mention the tight ends. And I think Noel is a little different than maybe what some of the other guys who have been in that position have your Trevor Ryan's your yeah, and like Sean don't get me wrong like yeah. Trevor Ryan was really dynamic Trevor Ryan was dynamic because Tri Trevor Ryan was like insanely fast mm -hmm. you know in, in the words of David Montgomery he was the fastest white person David Montgomery had ever seen uh, <laughs> you know Deshante Jones was good in that role because Deshante Jones was just like steady Eddie you, and the, the smartest dude in the field. Yeah. You knew what Deshante Jones was going to give you. He wasn't probably going to be a guy who's going to bust one for 70, but man, when you needed seven, he was going to get it for you. You know, uh, like I think Jalen Noel brings in that dynamic speed, but he's also got some of the wiggle that you maybe haven't seen at that position where it's like a guy that you can give it to him on a screen pass and you don't know what's going to happen from there. Mm -hmm. You know what, like what, 
what we've seen, he, he's not David or Brees. Like I'm not saying this, but what we've seen with their ability to make people miss and go to the other, the other side, like that's the kind of thing that I think you could see from this Noel kid once, you know, once he kind of gets going into it. And I don't know, I don't think week one, he's going to come out and probably be the starter. We've seen mm-hmm. Matt Campbell do this. However many times like Tariq Milton will, if I had to make a bet today, will Tariq Milton be the starter at that position? Yes. Mm-hmm. I would be shocked if he wasn't, but I would be shocked too. If by week four, you know, when conference plays starting, we're not sitting there saying like, man, how do they get this kid on the field more and more? Because yeah. every time he touches the ball, he does something dynamic with it. Yeah. And that, so it really, it just, then it's the same kind of thing. I mean, how explosive is your second group then? Like your first group, Cause I think Jackson can also play interior inside and outside, assuming he knows both positions. I, I guess I don't know who the, the, the sixth quote, sixth wide receiver would be And it. Also non sequitur fun to talk about sixth wide receiver as a conversational concern, as opposed to who's going to be on the other side of Keem Butler, you know, that kind of thing. So you, if your first line is essentially exactly what we saw when Tariq was healthy last year of Shaw, Tariq and Hutchinson, you have those three guys, then your back group is skates, uh, Noel and Jackson. The back group is probably more athletic than the first group, but the first group is more, uh, more physical, more consistent than the second group. So you have different kind of character feels in each one of them. And the diversity of just body types Mm -hmm. and skill sets is like good luck to a defense. I mean, yeah. you go from where you're having to guard, you're, you're having to cover guys who are, you know, in, in a Sean Shaw mold, who's six foot six can really run. And like you mentioned, can moss you, you know, it has the catch radius of a, uh, I don't know, an octopus, I guess. And then all of a sudden you've got guys who can come in who are just blazing fast and are going to run right past you. Like, or, you know, can make you miss in a phone booth. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it, that would be really hard to scheme for as a defense. Oh, and yeah. in throw into addition, you've got six foot six Charlie Kohler, who is, you know, built like a dump truck down uh, down low, and uh, you know Chase Allen, who can push people around, Easton Dean, who can who can do some things like. And haven't even talked about the best offensive weapon of the team. Yeah, Brees. Yeah, yeah, that's what There's I'm saying. Like you, yeah. yeah, and even Jarrell Brock, like what we know he can bring to the table. Like there, I would be when you've got that mix of playmakers, I mean, you can't scheme for any one particular thing because they've got so many different things that they can throw at you. you but know? that is incumbent upon Tariq. And I think we started out by saying Tariq and Jalen Noel. And I think we can lump Sean Shaw into this because by the end of last year, they started to get more diverse in like Sean Shaw became a lot more reliable of a target. Like think of the Texas game, granted the dude just completely blew a coverage, but like you have, Shaw. And when Milton's healthy, you have someone opposite Xavier Hutchinson that can actually draw coverage the other way, because Charlie in the middle, you have, I mean, their best coverage safety is going to be on 88. He has to be whoever their best coverage linebacker or safety. They cannot flex him out anywhere else unless they zone coverage and play the zone towards Charlie. So there's going to be an opportunity for someone else to do that. And if that other person, like like we talked about in the open, somewhere between expecting and wanting this for these people to succeed is if this other side of the wide receiver, whatever that is, Jalen Noel, Tariq Milton, uh, Sean Shaw, you know, Daniel Jackson, doesn't matter. If that other side of the wide receiver, if there can be another dynamic threat on the other side, like we think there can and will be, 
then that moves the coverage away from Xavier, bringing more single coverage to Xavier or less double coverage. It makes it so Charlie has to get single covered because they can't double cover down on him. It means Chase is going to get like the Mike linebacker on an offset because they have to stay true to wherever their their lanes are going to be. It opens everything, balances everything out. And so there's going to be somebody that shows up as that opposite side threat or that additional third receiving holy shit threat. I'm hoping that that is one of those three guys, but it might not be, it might be, maybe Joe skates ends up being like, just locking it in totally. I mean, he is gets three in the first two games, 60 yard receptions. And then from that point forward, you have to fear what he's going to do. Like who knows, but somebody on the other side can and should step up to make it even more of a dangerous offense. And there's also just the fact of the matter that, you know, pure from a pure math standpoint, like someone is going to benefit from the fact that all of those other guys are going to get so much attention, you know, who's going to be the guy who can do the most with that opportunity because 88 is going to get a lot of attention. Eight's going to get a lot of attention. 28 is going to get a lot of attention. Like there's not many defensive players left on the field who can pay attention to anybody else, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, like, that's why in 2017, you know, that's why you saw guys like Trevor have some of the success that they did. Why Margie Murdoch was able to have some of the success, success that he did. Matt Eaton, like why he was able to have some of the success that he did. It's because five and 18 took up so much bandwidth of a defensive, uh, from a defensive standpoint that like somebody, you have to have somebody you can throw the ball to, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, like half the defense is worried about these two guys. And then, oh, Angie got 32 back there too. So well, okay, this guy's kind of the odd man out. Well, all of a sudden, you know, they can have really solid. Yeah, you draw, you draw bad matchups. Right, for sure. All right, um, real quick, if any safeties out there get stuck with Charlie Kohler one-on-one, man, safeties who have to guard Charlie Kohler one-on-one might be in for a rough year because that, that kid looks good, man. Aren't they always in a rough year? But it's Oh, yeah, but it, I'm saying especially. You want to talk about somebody who took advantage of their extra time. Good for him. Yeah. Yeah. Good job, Charles. Charles Ch- Chuck is uh, Chuck. the guys in the tight room, tight end room calling. That he, Chuck's looking good. Uh, all right, let's flip it over to the defense real quick. We talked some last week about you know just being able to continue to shore up the run and all that stuff and figuring out that defensive line rotation. Uh, Zach Peterson's another one that I'm I'm interested to see. You know what kind of steps can he make? We, mm-hmm. we talked last week. He's just a guy who's always in the right spot. He's doing his job you know, what can he do is becoming more of a dynamic guy that shows up on the stat sheet a little bit more every week, I guess. Yeah. To go from, he makes a play every once in a while to watch out like that kind of taking that step for being a consistent playmaker. And, and granted there is nothing wrong with being the guy who is in the right spot all the time. But when you then can put pressure on opposing quarterbacks, or you put pressure on tackles who in the run game, uh, they know the guard knows if, on a combo block, it's supposed to be, you know, a lot of times in, in most offensive schemes. Now they're going to have like the, a combo block where the guard and the tackle start with the defensive end. And then whoever ends up coming clean or whatever the blocking scheme is, the uh, one of them goes to the linebacker. The other one stays on the defensive end. Well, the timing on that is really important. And if you're playing against Aaron Donald, you're just the, the second guy can't leave quickly because if you leave quickly, you leave Aaron Donald one-on-one with this dude. You're like, well, good luck. Hey, hope you have fun, buddy. Which leaves the linebackers a lot more open space to make tackles. Or if they come off too soon to get the linebacker, then Aaron Donald has a one-on-one that he's going to win. And so 
it doesn't even necessarily mean like sacks and pressures and stuff like that. Like being a guy who holds up combinations or holds up one of the offensive linemen, because you are so dynamic that you can't, they can't combo off. Like I think Will McDonald, especially on pass protections is in that position where if you have help, if you're a tight end and your job is to help on the defensive end, and then release, you're going to have to wait an extra, probably second and a half to two seconds to make sure that your guy has him. Otherwise you're going to get reamed by your coach because you're the will move the quarterback off his spot, which takes one guy out of the pass protection, which completely changes the dynamic of the play. So if Zach can become, we're not saying he has to be Will McDonald, but if he can be a guy that becomes a threat enough to be like Will McDonald was last year, where you got to stay, Hey, like they go to the sideline after the first drive, tackle looks over the guard. is like, Hey, if we got 55, you got to hang on. Like you got to hang on longer and like that kind of thing, that conversation makes it. So then whoever's on that side, Mike Rose, Jay Cummel is free. And then that free linebacker, we know the linebackers, the linebackers, other than the running back room, I think the linebackers might be the best position group on the entire team. And if you can leave them free and leave them flowing around to where they're going to go, I don't, I mean, that's exactly what this defense is built to have is that you have this pile in the middle and you have free running linebackers to make tackles. So yeah, Zach Peterson is a guy, if he can step up and become a disruptive force and, and dangerous to leave single blocked, then that changes that adds even more dynamics and complexion to the defense. It's like a question of, can you become, can you go from being a really, really good role player, a really solid guy to being a second team, all big 12 type player. Yeah. You know, like we're not asking you to be the defensive player of the year, but can you be a guy who stands out enough every week that everybody is taking notice of those things? Yeah. Well, and it's sort of like, I mean, a basketball basketball metaphor is you don't need to be, you know, like I'm trying to think of a better guy than Dennis Rodman, but just the name Dennis Rodman comes to comes to mind. Dennis Rodman didn't score a ton. He didn't need to, but that wasn't his job his job, he became so good at getting rebounds that it changed the way that opposing teams looked at offensive rebounding. A lot of times they would just quit. Like they would just not try and get the, the, the offensive rebound because they know that Rodman was going to get a defensive rebound or he was going to rip your ear off to get it. Like one of those. So it changes the way that the opposing team does something because you do the gritty thing really, really well. I don't imagine. I mean, maybe he will, and I hope he does, but maybe he becomes a really good pass rusher. That'd be awesome. But if he can just become a guy that becomes really disruptive because he's, uh, I mean, tough as nails, crazy SOB wrestler. If he can become a guy that toss and tackles and forcing guards or tight ends or whatever to hang out longer on double teams, because they don't want this, you know, this defensive end chucking them around. Great. That is exactly what you need to do. And you become like, again, Rodman was a name because he was crazy, but he became a valuable part of that team because he was going to get, 22 rebounds in a game, like that kind of thing. So you don't need to be the guy who scores all the points, makes all the sacks, whatever it's be a guy that becomes a dominant, a dominant at the thing that you need to do to make it. So the other team has to change how they want to do their thing because you are screwing it up. Yeah. It's like what Draymond green did for the Warriors yeah, when it exactly. allows you to play small because of what he was able to do. Uh, all right. Next one is staying on defense. Uh, kind of three guys here because it's kind of a combination, but it's the cornerback opposite of Anthony Johnson with Datron Young, Tavon Kyle, and then TJ Tampa. 
Yeah. And apparently didn't, I think you said that Tampa was pushing for playing time. Yeah. Tampa apparently has been, has been doing a lot And here. I want to throw this out to you. So TJ Tampa right now is listed at six foot two, 190 pounds. Uh, you think that that brings a different dynamic to that position than what they've got right now? Uh, Detron Young's five foot nine and Tavon Kyle is five eleven. Yeah. Okay. Well, and I'm it, not only probably, you, what's that? probably six, that's probably six, one, one eighty five yeah. to be, to be real, but still that's, that's Anthony Johnson size. Right. To have that kind of length and that, I mean, if, if he's as good as an athlete is what on the football field is what it has looked like. And some of the things that you'll see uh, he'll put on Twitter and stuff like that. If that translates, which I have every reason to believe it, that it does to have two six foot tall plus defensive backs like that would be a problem. Well, and the other thing that that does, so let's say, I mean, good drives good, like a rising tide raises all ships type of thing. If TJ Tampa ends up becoming the starting guy on the other side, you still have two capable corners, which would be Tavon Kyle and Datron Young, that if they need a breather because you're playing a team like Oklahoma who likes to play really up-tempo and way down the field. And who knows what Sarkeesian's offense is going to look like. And who knows what, you know, the success level of TCU with, uh, uh, Duggan and who knows what that's going to be. If you have all this, if you can allow your guys to get a breather, which they like to rotate defensive backs, especially if you have a guy, guys that are good enough that are starter level quality where TJ Tampa, let's say he ends up being the starting guy. Cause him and Anthony Johnson have that length, athleticism, uh, able to play with anybody, run with anyone, jump with anyone. And then you have Tavon Kyle and Daytron young that can give the starters or at least, you know, maybe one at a time, a breather that Holy cow, man, like you are continuing. You have a high level of play the entire game. There's less, there's no, there's no drop off when, the other corner gets tired. So again, this is necessitated by at least one of those guys becoming an Anthony Johnson, like a, a dynamic corner, a lock a near lockdown guy. Then the other two want to keep up with that person and then can be good in substituting and filling in while they get needed breaks. For sure. And it just would shore up. I mean, it, it would kind of eliminate what, what it feels like one of the massive or not massive, small holes that that defense has right you know, like it, it would be a lot harder to pick uh, a thing that's like okay if we're going to attack anything this is what we're going to attack which i mean clearly last year like by the end of the year they were going to look to whoever was opposite of anthony johnson and that was mm-hmm. going to be the game plan it's like we're yeah. going to throw away from 26 mm-hmm. as much as possible and make them adjust to us yeah. And we talked about it last week because that is one of the bigger needs on the team is that someone steps up on the other side. And so whether it's Daytron, uh, Tavon Kyle or TJ Tampa, uh, that guy, some, again, somewhere between expecting and wanting one of those three should come up and maybe it's not, you know, we talked about it with, uh, uh, Jalen Noel. Maybe it's not week one where you're like, man, TJ Tampa is locked down right now. He is shutting this dude, down. but maybe by week three or four, you've got, like he has filtered his way to the point where like he's got the experience of his, the experience of the game matched with his technique and his understanding. And it now makes sense to do. So uh, yeah, I, I hopefully it's one of them. And uh, TJ Tampa has the biggest upside, but you, a corner position is not about upside. It's about eliminating downside, you know, like corner for a, a, a weird metaphor is like golf where you have to be a good golfer to score under par. 
but you have to not be a bad golfer to stay under par because you can be, if you're a corner and you are 97% effective and you are locked down for 97%, but those 3% are 60 yard touchdown third and 12 blown coverage, and then a red zone conversion or something like that. Well, those three plays have completely cost your team like point blank period, just like in golf. If you, you could shoot under par and birdie everything, but if you shoot nine over on one hole, because you hit two in the water, like that kind of you, you, eliminating bad shots is more important to, to being good. Just like a corner is making, you have to be good, but you have to not be bad at the same time. All right. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back here on football and random things on the cycle Fanatic podcast network. Welcome back into football and random things. Uh, all right. I think we got two left here. Um, I think, a, I mean, this one can be probably the best categorized as, you know, when Iowa state goes into their 13 personnel with the three tight ends who can emerge to be that second receiving threat without Dylan Sainer. You know, I don't know that Chase Allen or Easton Dean would really fill that same role that Sainer did because of what he could do as a blocker. We know how good Chase is, but he also doesn't have maybe the same dynamic pass catching that, uh, that, that Sainer did. Like, can it, can one of those guys be another dynamic pass, pass catcher along with Charlie uh, that allows them some of the flexibility that they had in that, in that set that they did before. Yeah. And I don't know if you're going to get one guy that does both things well. So like if, if Saner, let's call it Saner was a, a B plus at everything. And that's not an insult. Like if you can be good, pretty good at everything, that's great. You make a lot of money. Saner's going to make a lot of money money playing football. So if you're going to be a B plus at everything, like chase was a better blocker. Charlie was a better receiver, but he was pretty good. He was the middle at both. Uh, and I think they might actually be in a position where they just have two guys that will do one thing better than Charlie did, or than uh, uh, Saner did his one thing. So I think Jared Russ is a better blocker than Dylan Saner. He's just a worse receiver. And I think Easton Dean is going to be a better receiver, just a worse blocker. So it depends on the situation that they want. They just have to be competent at the other thing. So then they can be to use the, I don't know, this isn't necessarily to say that it's, but if you can be an A, and a B minus, that's fine. You just have to be not an, not an A and an F. Like Jared has to be able to catch uh, a bootleg in the flat for seven yards. Like if you can consistently be bootleg in the flat for seven yards or chip release, sit down right next to a linebacker to hold the linebacker up to allow the second receiver to get 12 yards. So the linebacker doesn't fade on him. And if you're a terrible receiver, that linebacker is just going to float back off of you and leave you basically wide open. Just like uh, any team does with Giannis Antetokounmpo on a three pointer. They say, please shoot it. That is the best possible defense we can run is have you take that shot. And so if you're a terrible receiver, and you have no potential threat for running after the catch or even catching it in the first place. They're just going to bail off of Jared Russ. If he doesn't, if he can't competently catch the ball again for seven yards at a time, twice a game, like that's it. That's all you need. You can have if his, a good stat line for Jared Russ is going to be one reception, 13 yards. Like that is going to be a great stat line for him on the flip side. Easton Dean needs to not be a total light foot when he, he needs to not be Tim Tebow blocking. I don't know if you saw the uh, social media clip of Tim trying to do a cut block or a chop block. Hey, hey, but how many other tight ends have have cured someone who's having a seizure down the right field line at a spring training game uh, before you comment on Tim Tebow? I would imagine he – I've met him, but I would imagine he's a wonderful person. 
He is just not a good blocker. Hasn't had to be. He's a quarterback. And now he's trying to block. And a football player. Uh, <laughs> or in a baseball player. Uh, anyway, so if if Easton Dean can be competent in blocking, then they have to respect that he's there, that they know that there is the chance that they run the ball when he's in the game. Because if he comes in and they throw it 100% of the time because he's liability blocking, then they can't run the ball when he's in there because they put whatever defender there, toss him like a rag doll, and you have an unblocked defender either at the backside or the front side of the, of the play. Can't happen. Now, again, you don't have to be Chase Allen. Like you, you're not going to have to pancake defensive ends. You just have to be competent enough at what you're doing that the other team believes that you could do it. And then when you actually do run the ball, you're like, oh, shoot, okay, we'll keep him honest. And then you can become the better receiver. So I think that between Russ and Easton Dean, they are together going to replace the Dylan Saner role because Saner could do both. He just wasn't as good of a blocker as Russ and wasn't as good of a receiver as Easton. He was just a better of the inverse to both of them. So that's what allowed them the flexibility to be in 13 personnel and still throw it because you knew that Chase could catch the ball. You knew that Saner could catch the ball. You knew that Charlie could catch the ball. And usually it was Sean Shaw, your other six foot six dude. And you have a lot of mass that can move people, but also all four of them can catch. So they just have to be good enough at the other side because they'll have the chance. We talked about it with the other receiver. Like you can only cover so many people, Charlie, Chase, Shaw, or Tariq, or Hutchinson, or Brees, or Jirel. Like you can only cover so many people. So if you are Jared Russ, no one's going to look at you. Catch the ball and run for a first down and call it good. You know, you know, you know like that type of thing. Right. And I think Russ probably, you know, he's like in the Sam Seenbuckner mold. He's in mm-hmm. the Jeff Woody mold. I think they, they are better blockers than I was. I would say I was a better ball carrier than they were, but they were better blockers. Definitely. Yeah. They, uh, you know, listening to Nate Shieldhouse talk about some of these things the other day, Taylor Mauser, uh, they were talking about how Jared Russ can carry the ball. Maybe we're going to get a little eye formation out of the Cyclones this year. Well, if they could, it, I mean, it does open up like just the more people you have that can be good at stuff that at many things, he was a high school running back. So I think he is more of like a fullback, like a traditional fullback type guy. Yeah. But if you have more people that can do that, then it, there is the more threats that are available, the better off you're going to be, you know, like imagine no, this is again, the, the bucks are the NBA champions. Like they're really good, but imagine how much better they would be if Giannis could make a three like consistently, if he made 30% of his threes. Yeah. I mean, he'd probably be the best player in the history of basketball at that point. Right. And, and that yeah, just makes it, O'Neal could shoot threes. It, it's just one of those things that like, but the, the, the capacity to, you know, to, to add threats. That's why I'm Brooke Lopez in, to take the books or take the bucks as example. Brooke yeah. Lopez is such a good compliment to Giannis because he actually can shoot outside. So he's going to bring their big guy out and leave Giannis the chance to just go one-on-one against the four. And he's going to, he's going to score. So like just the flexibility that is Brooke Lopez a dead eye shoot. No, he is not. Is Jared Russ the best receiver or runner of all time? No, he is not. But if you can even be serviceable in an area, it makes it a legitimate threat. And so if he is a decent runner, like let's say he gets the ball. And if he's as, as good as I was, which he might be that, if I were, if they were to play action, if, when I was there, if they were to play action to me, whether or not I, I wasn't going to run for 50 yards, but I was going to get, if they didn't attribute the right attention, I, I could get nine, you know, that kind of thing. And if they, if, if he's good enough to be at that level, 
which isn't a super high bar, but good enough that it becomes a reasonable threat that you could do the thing that you're pretending to do. Well, you have to pay attention to it, which then leaves more space for everything else. So yeah, Jared Russ, let's say he does become, they have an eye formation. They have a, a heavy package where they have all three tight ends and he becomes the ball carrier on third and one. Who knows? But if it has a plausible threat, then it becomes that much more dangerous. Let's not let our younger listeners sit here and think that you were good for nine every time you got the ball. I mean, you, at best, what you could fall forward for five. You, I, yeah, there were some. There were times. There were times. Yeah. Few and far between. It's not. Well, what I was saying if, if, if they completely ran away from. <laughs> if they were paying attention where, to everybody else on the field, and somehow you were the one left with the ball. Then I could get nine. Yeah. Yeah. Then I could get nine or if you're playing Kansas, I can get Oklahoma state in overtime. Apparently Uh, they weren't trying to tackle. They're trying to strip the ball. It just makes it easier when you're just bigger than most of the people on the team. Right. All right. Last one. Uh, And I know probably going to get shit for this because we're talking about kickers, but Andrew Mavis is, I mean, if he can come in and be as good as what it sounds like he is on kickoffs for one thing, which it's like, Every time we talk about kickoffs, it feels so dumb that we're talking about the kickoff team, but we've seen how big that can be in a game. Uh, and then if he can give you some more consistency, maybe with, as a long range kick field goal kicker, where some of the scenarios where it's been either we have to go for this or we have to punt it and, you know, maybe be able to add those, turn those into three points more consistently. I think that that adds another dynamic to this offense that has mm-hmm. not been there. Yeah. It, it's uh I mean, there weren't a ton of critical times. I don't think, uh, I mean, they went for it more often than not, if they were close, like yeah. as the season went on, if they, if they were within like fourth and three or fourth and four, they're probably gonna go for it anyway. Yeah. And they might still have that kind of aggressive attitude, but if you are able to hit from, you know, more or less consistently from inside of 50, yeah, then you can, it feels much less stressful. If you are on the offense, if you know, for a fact that your kicker is going to make points. Like it then becomes not, I need to convert here. Like if I don't, and then you start forcing things, you start trying to, you know, press and whatever. And just like, you know, every other sport, you have to be comfortable and relaxed and kind of able to feel the flow of the play in order to make it happen. And if you feel like there's a chance that your kicker won't make it, or you're too far out of range, or it's a 50, 50 shot, then you try and, you know, if you're Brock, if you're Brock Purdy, you try and force that ball into the end zone from the 31 yard line, because you don't think that a Sally is going to make a 50 yard field goal. Like mm-hmm. you have to, you try and do that because you know, if you don't, then you're either going to have to go for it or punt from the 30. So if they are able to have one consistency, which that's just a given, like you, if you're going to kick a field goal, make the field goal. If, and two is if you can extend that consistent range out a little bit, then it takes stress off the offense even before you get into the red zone because the red zone is, it is the most high pressure environment because the back line becomes a defender. Your available square footage is substantially down. And at the same time, the defense knows they need to keep you as far back as they can to increase their odds of coming off the field, allowing, having allowed zero points because the farther the kick is the less guaranteed it is. Well, imagine if you were playing the Baltimore Ravens and Justin Tucker is the other guy, Justin Tucker is the most accurate kicker in the history of field goal kickers in the NFL. I bet Lamar Jackson, when they get inside the 35 just goes, all right, we got three. Now this is just icing on the cake. We for sure have a field goal because we know that our kicker is going to be there. And the defense knows the same thing. So they start becoming a, 
they then feel the pressure because they might have to feel like they have to get a tackle for loss. So they jump outside the tackle. Well, Oh shoot. It's a draw. They run right inside of where he was because you're gambling to try and make something big happen because you know that if you don't, they're going to automatically get points. So the pressure shifts when you have a really good kicker that can kick from a distance, Cole Netton, when Cole Netton was in his senior year, he was as good from a distance as Iowa state has probably ever had. Right. I don't think that's too much of a stretch. Right. And if you have a guy like Cole, if he can be Cole net and good that he can make consistently from 50, 47, 52, every once in a while, like if you can be that kind of dynamic kicker, 50 yard lines work backwards is the 33 yard line, 32 yard line. That's outside of the red zone. So when you get inside the 30, you're like, cool, we got points. Like this is chalk, Like anything on top of this just becomes extra. And the defense then feels the pressure, not you. So yeah, it, it is little things, but we talked about the sixth wide receiver earlier. This is, we are at the point where little things are the things that Iowa state can improve upon to not lose to Oklahoma state in the middle of the season to not fall four points short of Oklahoma to get themselves to where they want to go. It's the little, it's the little things now. And kickers are not little like it, it, point. They're always, if there's a kicker on the field, points either are about to happen or just happened. Like one of those two things, if you have a kicker on the field points, just happened or points will happen or might rather. Mm -hmm. So it's always a big thing when a kicker's on the field. So that type of, and if you can make sure that it becomes a near hundred percent certainty that inside of 30 yards, you're going to get points unless you screw it up completely. That becomes that shifts the pressure onto the defense and not on the offense, which makes it again, even more stressful to play against this offense. And the unfortunate thing, like for a guy like Connor Sally is he has not necessarily ever done anything wrong, but it's just that, I mean, I, I think we'd be lying if we sat here and said that unless they're inside the 20 yard line, you don't feel uber confident in what Connor Sally is going to bring from week to week. Well, and he's, and I think he has done the job. He's done the job that he's been asked to most of the time to the best of his ability service and serviceably enough. Yeah. Serviceably enough. He's, he's not been bad by any stretch. No. He's not a bad kicker, but in the same way that when you I get into this a, point, if you can be better then right. that's what you need, right? You know? I was not a bad running back, but David Montgomery is a hell of a lot better than I was. And right. so if you're stuck with me and you could have David Montgomery, well, I would choose David Montgomery every time. And so there just becomes a point where you can improve upon what's already at least. Okay. And so I think the ceiling for a Sally is lower uh, and we don't know anything about the Nevis kit. Like he, we only heard reports. We, and even in camp, it might be, he might be freaking Lou Groza in camp, but Lou when it gets actually wasn't that good of a kicker statistically. Oh, fun. Interesting. Fun Sebastian Janikowski. He might be Sebastian Janikowski in camp, but it might not turn out that he is, you know, the pressure is different when you're kicking in front of, 60,000, 70,000, hundred thousand people. Mm -hmm. So we don't know until you get three, four games in and he's consistently done the thing that he needs to do. So, uh, yeah, I, it's an interesting position and somewhere between expecting and needing or wanting the kicking position to be better than it was last year. I think we can all say that kickoffs will be better than last year. Uh, it's just a matter of the actual kicking game. Maybe it is a solid, maybe he has improved his consistency and like Maybe he doesn't have the leg outside of like 45, but he's like dead eye locked in from 45 yards on in. And if you can have a dead eye locked in from 45 yards in, I would take that every time rather than a guy that's got a huge leg, but makes 80% from everywhere. 
I would rather have a guy that's 100% from 45 in than a guy who's 80% from everywhere. So maybe, maybe he has worked on consistency. Maybe he's gotten a little better. Maybe he's gotten in the weight room and gotten better. Like who knows? A Sally might still be that, but it, it just, the, the, the knowledge that when you get inside the 30 or the 25, that you have points point blank end of story is great. And then the farther back you can move that line, the more dangerous it becomes uh, for your offense. Absolutely. And that's the, those are the things that are important when you're the number seven team in the country. Like it just came out uh, while we were recording this, the Cyclones will uh, start the season in the AP poll. So congratulations to the Iowa state Cyclones. Uh, you got anything else you want to add before I let you go? The only, week? We have an honorable mention. I think it's oh, yeah. honorable because he was all conference last year. Like he was the, the new big 12 newcomer of the year. Uh, I Shim young, I think can become a guy who is a, and again, for forget language, he could be an, Oh shit guy. Where like, if you are another opposing staff, find number one, mm-hmm. find him every play. Because if you don't, he's either going to break the teeth of your wide receiver or he's going to intercept the ball, or he's going to put a guard on his ass in a run fill. Like understand that it's also, I shouldn't say teeth because he uh, got ejected twice. Right. He'll break the uh, belly button. Sternums. The, the hips yeah. of your wide receiver. How much fun do you think Dion is having coaching that kid? Man. And, and I think the great thing is, is he's got Eisworth there. Like Dion can coach him, but Eisworth in the middle of a play, like in a scrimmage situation, or you're in, let's say the defensive snaps or you, you take six defensive snaps and the ones rotate out. And then the next group comes in and you got six defensive snaps out there. Dion can only coach one of the guys at a time. If Eisworth is out there, he can just look over and say, Hey, you got to push farther to X, Y, and Z. You have to come down on X, Y, and Z. You, if you see this route, you have to do this. Greg can coach him from out there. Cause Greg's been playing for what, like 13 years mm-hmm. at Iowa state. So uh, the fact that Eisworth is there and Dion who played the position is there and you know, he's got natural raw talent. That's gotta be a fun room. Uh, all right. This is my last thing. And I just thought of it. We, so Eli Rashid spent a lot of time last week talking about how, how much they play ones versus ones during camp. Uh, how much did you guys do that when you were playing? And then what, where do you think the added value in that comes? I mean, it's I, we didn't, we didn't play ones versus ones a ton. Um, and I think it was because we wanted to see what the look would be when the ones get the dominant, get the, get the default, at least the way that I think the way that they coach it. Not, you know, I wasn't in the staff meetings, but I think the way they did it is when the ones are in the game, they wanted ones versus twos. The ones got the priority in play calling. And so you got to call your, the thing that you wanted to see. And the other, the two is just kind of had to call something, base. you know, something else, like something yeah. base or something different. Whereas when it became the other way, the defense wanted to call this certain blitz or pressure, or certain coverage or something like that. And the offense just has to run something that's kind of generic and you script it. So it matches. But I think the advantage of having ones versus ones is that you do get, I mean, Sean Foster has to block Will McDonald like mm-hmm. every time. And Sean Shaw, iron type situation. Yes. Yeah, Sean Shaw has to get off the line against Anthony Johnson. Like, dude, you got seven foot arms. Don't let him get into your chest. Like that. You, you got that absolute best versus best. You got to figure out how to do it type of thing. So I think the ones versus ones, when they play that, we did it some, I remember most of the time we would do ones versus twos. Uh, well, I guess, I don't know. We would still do it during, during team settings. It was usually one versus ones and twos versus twos. 
Um, but during like offensive different periods, you switched around, but I don't know. One versus one, it does make it. So you figure out, okay, when I'm going against one of the best players that I could possibly go against, this is what I have to do to win. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. I mean, at the end of the day, like I look at it as that group that, that Iowa state offense is going to face is probably going to be better than most of the groups that they're going to face. Most of the defenses they're going to face even from week to week on Saturdays and, and, and vice versa. versa. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's like where they're at now, I mean, you want to give everybody the best look they possibly can get, you know, from day to day in practice. And it's like, well, those guys over there are better than any offense we're going to face besides Oklahoma probably. Mm-hmm. And that defense might be better than you're going to face again, maybe Oklahoma and that one even might be a bigger, maybe. I, yeah. I think like, coming to the year, I was right. probably the best defense, in the conference. Right. And that's where, I mean, and we were talking obviously specifically about the defensive and offensive lines. You want to know why those groups have gotten so much better because they play each other every day, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? And like I said, iron sharpens iron. Like those guys know that every day, man, if I want to be able to keep Brock Purdy from getting killed in a practice setting where he can't be touched, well, I got to figure out how I'm going to block Will McDonald and, that's the same problem that everybody in the country is having right now. Well, even more like the things about with the offensive line, why they've improved so fast is because the linebackers are really freaking good. Yeah. Like if you, if you are, if you're trying to lock a combo block and the, the hardest part about doing like zone schemes, which a lot, I mean, Iowa state will kind of go back and forth gap and zone. And you can talk to Jay Jordan about that. Uh, but one of the hardest parts about running a zone scheme is understanding timing and how long, like we talked about before, how long, guard and tackle or center and guard who whomever have to stay together on the defensive lineman. And then when you release what that looks like to get to the linebacker, the pace that you have to do that. So linebackers that can diagnose really, really fast, like AJ and Jake, one of the things that they were as, as good as anybody about was understanding exactly what was happening and where they had to be really fast. And so if they know within half a second, based on formation play call, what the offensive line, maybe he's a little heavy on his right foot. It's pushing towards his right side. And you see two steps and you know exactly what's going to happen. You're not going to hang out and just wait to see where it's going. If you know where you got to go, you're gone. And that means if you're a lineman, you have to come off that combo block. Let's say it's a half a second that he, before he triggers, it's another half a second before he gets there. So you got 1000 or you have 1001. That's as long as you have to get to a combo block and to a linebacker. Well, Iowa State's linebackers now know that. They know how to do that. Between Vance and Hummel and Rose, they are as good at diagnosing, and Eisworth, because he plays sort of that other position. So they are as good at getting there quickly as anybody. So the offensive line has had to figure out in practice, like, wait, we can't just hang on to these double teams. We can't just wing it and just hope that somebody's going to get there and get a holding penalty or come off late and have a run through. We have to get our steps down now. We have to pass this guard or pass this defensive lineman off to our guard now. And then we can get up to the linebacker because we have to get there now. Like that type of speed and understanding comes with playing guys that are not only really athletic because every division one player is really athletic. It's guys that know what they're doing and how fast they're going to get there. And you having to keep up with that knowledge. That's the part that's, I bet that above anything is everybody knows everything and recognizes it really fast. So you have to process information against the ones a lot faster than you have to process information against the twos. Cause a guy like, you know, uh, Gary Vaughn, like he is a really good player. And I bet when he starts getting the more predominance of snaps, he's going to be in the same position, but he's not taking near as many snaps as Orion Vance has. 
So, or Jake Homo. So he's going to process things just a fraction of a second slower, which gives you a fraction of a second longer. And then you start developing what that fraction of a second feels like, like a baseball player. If you only ever pitch or if you only ever hit against an 85 mile an hour pit fastball, then all of a sudden a guy comes out with a 96 mile an hour fastball. The difference is startling. It's not a huge amount, but it's enough to be faster than what you want. So yeah, the ones versus ones thing, uh, it's physical in, in, uh, obviously it does one ver- uh, will McDonald's really good at getting off blocks. You need to be really good at holding them on a block, but it's the understanding of what some guy knows exactly where he's going and when to get there and how fast to get there. And you have to match it. That's the thing that's probably the biggest in ones versus ones for sure. All right. Thanks everybody for listening. We'll talk to you guys again next week on uh, football and random things. Peace.